Hi, and welcome to Match Cut, a movie podcast where we take two movies with the exact same rating on IMDb and break that tie. My name is Aaron. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Matt. Hello. This episode's matchup is about discovering the beautiful young woman you are amidst the rough-and-tumble, cutthroat environment of American high school. So put on that dress you like, do a final mirror check, and don't let your mascara run. It's 16 Candles versus Easy A. So what was your experience uh, with these movies before watching them for the podcast? So I, I think with um, with 16 Candles, I had seen it as part of a whole bunch of uh, John Hughes movies when AMC would do kind of theme weeks. I definitely saw, you know, Ferris Bueller and um, uh, Breakfast Club before I saw this one, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird because I would consider both those films to be you know, superior and a little bit more um, memorable than 16 Candles. Not that 16 Candles is bad, but I think um, 16 Candles was actually between the, these two films, like Ferris Bueller, then 16 Candles, then uh, Breakfast Club. So a little bit different tonally than uh, those films. Yeah. Uh, closer to uh, Ferris Bueller, but yeah, not so different. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Easy Ed, I'd never seen before. I remember seeing ads for it back when it came out, and I was just like, that seems like a movie I'm not going to watch. Yeah, I hadn't seen either of these movies um, before watching them here. I, I'd i seen some other John Hughes movies, so that the like, feel of it was very familiar, but I hadn't like sat down and watched 16 Candles. Uh, Easy A, very similar experience to you, where I saw ads, and I'm like, oh, that seems like fun, but I'll never watch it. I mean, it's one of those interesting things that, like, Emma Stone perpetually looks like she's in a senior year of high school, (laughs) basically. And, like, I'm not, I don't hate her. I think she's a great actress, actually. I really love Mm -hmm. her in La La Land. Like, almost everything she's in, I actually really like her in. It's just, I don't know. (laughs) She she seems to perpetually be a high schooler. Yeah. But then again, I I feel that about a lot of people. Like, (laughs) uh, some days at work, I'll be carting someone. It's like, they're legally old enough to drink. I'd be like, no, you need to go back to high school. Uh, I can't serve you. It's always that person where you're like, just what do you do? Do you like moisturize and like put a mask over your face when you sleep? And they're like, oh, I just drink a lot of water. Mm. It's one of those things where like I'm thinking like. Man, have I always just looked old, or is it, or is it the kid? Like, is this what it's always like? Like, where everyone thinks, like, no, you're not yet old enough to do this thing yet. Yeah, I, I would imagine it probably gets pretty frustrating. Um, I know a couple like eternally young looking people, and they're just like, yeah, here's my ID, right? So they got that. They got the ID like speed holster. It's funny, I've started noticing, like, just to continue on this completely useless side conversation, <laughs> um, like, generally speaking, men will be able to get their IDs out faster just because they have it in their wallet. Mm-hmm. But, like, sometimes, like, I'm thinking, like, man, you are such a failure when, a guy, like, a guy's uh, significant other pulls it out way quicker than him. <laughs> Got to do those, like, Clint Eastwood quick draws in front of the mirror or something. I guess maybe yeah. taxi driver. Taxi driver, yeah. You, you ID and me? You ID and me? Because I don't see anyone else sell around here. You must be ID and me. Shave my head and everything. Can't believe I'm getting ID'd. <laughs> um, so before we begin, bacon number for this movie uh, is two. You got uh, Molly. I did the lead actresses because I figured that was appropriate. 
Uh, Molly Ringwald was in Cowboy Up with Kiefer Sutherland, who is in Marmaduke, of all things, with Emma Stone. However, Emma Stone was in Marmaduke? And yeah. There, and what the heck is Cowboy Up? Cowboy Up, I looked at the description briefly on uh, IMDb, and basically a cowboy gets a near-life-threatening injury like bull riding. And so it's kind of about his his mother and his it's like his mother and his wife or his girlfriend like getting him you know back on the horse cowboying up and getting back okay. in the saddle. Seems utterly forgettable. Yeah, it it didn't look great. Similar to Marmaduke, the movies, however, themselves uh, a clip from Sixteen Candles is literally shown in Easy A, so they are even closer than their lead actresses. Yeah, Emma Stone mentions at one point, it's like, I want to be in a John Hughes film or something along those lines. Yeah, it's like, I want uh, I want John Cusack outside my window with a boombox, and I want to ride away on a lawnmower, which, spoiler alert, she does. <laughs> That's right! <laughs> um, so both of these have a strong 7.1 on IMDb, but one of them must be better than the other. Uh, why don't we start with 16 Candles? So, Sixteen Candles is a 1984 film written and directed by John Hughes. John Hughes is the genre-defining writer-director of the 80s teenage movies, including, as mentioned earlier, The Breakfast Club, Weird Silence, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. However, and I actually didn't know this, uh, he also has written under the pseudonym Edmund Dantes, the main character from The Count of Monte Cristo. Edmund Dantes is responsible for such movies as Beethoven, The Dog, uh, that mm-hmm. series of films, Made in Manhattan, and Drillbit Taylor. Yes, some of his maybe less well-reviewed work. It's interesting that like he felt the need to have a pseudonym and and to keep writing. I mean, because he was kind of prolific with his scripts, like mm-hmm. from when he was really popular in the eighties to up until his death, he was writing. Yeah, yeah, and he actually died a little unexpectedly. He was. 68, 69, and died of a heart attack on a run in Chicago or something like that. Yeah, all I all I remember from my trips back and forth to IMDb was it was 2009 that he passed. Yeah, so, yeah, he passed unexpectedly. So I, mm-hmm. I know that. I was like, wait, what? He wasn't super old. Yeah. Well, in some, one way, we all punched that ticket someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to summarize, Samantha Baker wakes up on her 16th birthday only to find out her entire family has forgotten about it in the run-up to her sister's wedding. And it only gets worse. Samantha has a crush on the most popular boy in school, Jake. But the geekiest boy in school is the one with the crush on her. Her sex quiz answers are out in the open. And not to mention, her grandparents have in, invaded her room and brought their foreign exchange student, problematically named Long Duck Dong. One party and a heartfelt apology until apology later things are looking up sam's sister is finally getting married but will sam ever find her own prince charming so do you want to talk about the problematic elements of this movie like first? I, I i think it it has to be said that like you know when this movie came out like i don't know it was a little more acceptable to literally name a, a chinese character Long Duck Dong, and it is played for laughs every time his name is said. Also, there is a musical, like, (laughs) gong that plays every time it's said as well. It's never acknowledged by the, by the, 
you know, anyone in the universe. It's just this weird fourth wall breaking, blong, whatever his name is said. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, so there's long duck dong, uh, you know, there's just casual sexual assault all over the movie. There's drunk driving. There's like date rape, basically prescription well, drug abuse. The date rape is like weird. It's everything is so weird from a modern sensibility with a lot of the things in this movie. It's like if you framed it differently and this movie was made today, this would be lampooned and picketed for having such sexist representation of women, such uh, degrading uh, roles for a, a person of color. Um, you know, but however, something like Long Duck Dong is in some ways a step forward from, you know, from Hollywood's past because compare that to something that is more is just as iconic, which is Breakfast at Tiffany's where there is a Japanese character yeah. played by Mickey Rooney that is insulting on its face. And one of the, one of the, the reasons I love that film, but it's hard for me to rewatch it because that is so unnecessary to have done in the film. And yet they did it anyway. Yeah. And at least at the very least, the Asian character is played by someone of Japanese descent in this movie. Gere Watanabe, who was pretty popular during uh, the time, the eighties. I think he was in uh, plenty of films. I, for some reason, think he was in that that car film with Michael Keaton, where mm. like a like a uh, a Japanese company buys an American car company. I can't remember what that's called. It's not ringing any bells for me. Um, I did look it up because I was like hoping, like, please don't, please don't say this is the only thing he did in Hollywood. And uh, two of the ones I know he went on to, he was a voice in Mulan. He was one of the like three comedy characters in the army. Yeah. Um, and then he was also in Forty Seven Ronin, but I believe that was more of like a, a smaller role. Yeah, forty. I didn't. I didn't see that movie. It didn't look great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Keanu Reeves' <laughs> mystical Ronin adventure film based on an actual event. Yeah, should do something for the year of Keanu Reeves on this podcast. Uh, we'll put it in the backlog of things we need to do. Yeah, so it's, it's a long list. So right off the bat, you have this very problematic thing with uh, representation of people of color because he is the only person of any color other than white in this movie. Yeah. And it's played for laughs and it's played as a joke and it's played like, you know, he plays the character a little better than I think was written. And it's, it's again, it's not a, it's not a horrible characterization of an Asian person, the actual character, but on its face, it is somewhat degrading. Mm -hmm. um, now, to answer the things about like sexual assault and all that, like the nerd character who uh, is constantly trying to get in Samantha's uh, pants is played by Anthony Michael Hall, who's li only labeled as geek. And, yeah, you know, <laughs> the the first scene he is introduced is problematic from this day and age because, like, you see him on the bus. And he, like, is the perfect epitome of a nice guy nowadays. Yeah. Where he, literally she is disgusted by him and annoyed by him and... Pretty clearly just saying, like, hey, no, don't touch me. Like, 
and he physically blo- he physically blocks her into the the bus seat she's in, constantly puts his hands on her and all that stuff. It's like, man, you could not make this character nowadays and have him be anyone sympathetic like he is in this film. Right, you couldn't have him succeed in the way he does. Like you know, he gets a happy ending. In the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he, you know, he has a really positive story arc. He does, and they do address like he acts like this because of his position. But again, it's like it's trying to excuse his actions in a little uncomfortable way for modern sensibilities. Yeah. Um, the there there's a nice moment at a dance when he's like. I'm sorry, I'm like this kind of thing to Samantha, and they have a really heartfelt conversation in a car, but then he kind of ruins it by asking for her underwear. Yeah, to like win floppy disks, like in a bet, and then... Which, in 1984, floppy disks were like solid-state USB drives or something like that. <laughs> sure. To give a modern equivalent that will date this in the future when we all <laughs> just have rocks and fire again. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's kind of impossible to talk about this movie now without you know at least saying like hey it's it's very of its time yeah it's definitely a movie of its time um and you know we we've changed so much as a society and what is acceptable to show uh again i i definitely brought up when we were watching the movie that only in an 80s movie would the nerdy geeky characters be portrayed by people like john cusack and anthony michael hall yeah, they, uh, they definitely had their, their glow up. Well, I mean, Anthony Michael Hall, even back then, was like, he's not an unattractive looking, you know, young actor. And he had, he aged the best out of anyone, I feel, from uh, Breakfast Club. Yeah. So, uh, and has been able to slowly lead the limelight much better than, say, what happened to John Cusack's career, where it just kind of ends. Yeah. Um, but I think like other than that, like reasonably realistic portrayal of high school, obviously we weren't in high school in the eighties, so I don't truly know what it's like, but kind of like extrapolating backwards. Well, yeah, the, like. I feel like these actors definitely looked closer to high schoolers for the most part, aside from that one guy, uh, doing pull-ups with Jake that looked like <laughs> a, a a 40 year old man yeah you could not shave him close enough to get rid of that five o'clock shadow and it's like oh okay well and then it's it's like the joke from uh 21 jump street which you still need to see by the way uh i've I've seen 21 jump street i haven't seen 22 jump street oh okay where um rob rickle tells uh channing tanner like you got the muscle definition of a 30 year old Uh, like just poking fun of the incredulity of sending two officers undercover and having people play way younger than they actually are in high school. Yeah. Um, I would say both films actually did a good job of like, you know, I think uh, easy a was a little bit better. Like I felt that everyone, those looked all looked like high school people. Mm-hmm. And the one person you're like, that guy looks way too old. They actually address it in universe that he's been held back like three times. Yeah, that he's graduate. like 20 years old. He is 20 years old. And the guy, the, the actor in and of himself looks a little bit older than that. But it's close enough as like, oh, they acknowledge that the yeah. one person who is very obviously not of age is uh, is older than he's supposed to be. Yeah, he looks appropriately older. But yeah, I, I definitely remember doing 
doing stuff like that sex quiz in high school, or I guess it was more in middle school for me, but my friends were a little tamer and the questions never got that invasive. Yeah, the, the those questions were interesting to say the least. It is, it, it's, it's interesting that they don't, um, they're not making a comment on her having these desires and it's being bad. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a little more progressive than, you know, you would have gotten just 10 years earlier for women, especially a young woman in high school. Um, so that's definitely something to be uh, lauded. It's uh, interesting how these movies both handle female sexuality as opposed to male sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like, there's definitely a uh, mature way they look at female sexuality as opposed to a childish way for male sexuality. Like male sexuality is always like bombastic and in your face, whereas female sexuality is more reserved and mature. Yeah. That to me is just like, it's one of those things that like men are the aggressors and women are the, you know, the the pursued. Whereas this is, she's being honest that she's, she desires, uh, jake's character but it doesn't go into exactly you know what she wants whereas you know the the male foil to her the geek literally asks her for her panties yeah you get a little bit of like the stereotype of like frustrated male nerd i think also the portrayal of the parents is very good and realistic Um, yeah the the parents are like they're not horrible people like Definitely that's kind of a theme in uh, John Hughes movies for the most part is the parents, like, they're busy for realistic reasons. Yeah. Obviously those parents are extremely occupied with their their oldest daughter's wedding that they are planning and hosting a whole bunch of people and in-laws and all that stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, I used to have a lot of in-laws over around the holidays uh, back when I was in, you know, middle and high school. And uh, a lot of family get-togethers. My parents were never that forgetful, however. <laughs> I don't think they've ever once forgotten my birthday. Then again, my birthday is easy to remember, as it is the, the day right before the 4th of July. Uh, so pretty easy to remember. 4th of July is coming up. Oh, right. My other son was born. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I uh, kind of get that, like, week before Valentine's Day. My birthday is actually specified in an episode of the simpsons so i'm like almost famous (laughs) i think my dad had it the worst though since we're talking about birthdays and timing he was born on december 26th (laughs) (laughs) so i mean i never forget my dad's birthday Mm -hmm. but uh you know i don't know what that was like growing up as a child of the big boom yeah my uh, my brother is November 25th, so his birthday kind of tends to get lumped in with Christmas. It's like, well, we're not going to buy you, like, a thing now and then a thing in a month or whatever. Or, like, you know, it kind of gets overwritten by Thanksgiving a lot of the time. It's like all the family's yeah. getting together for Thanksgiving. Oh, by the way, Dolan's birthday's coming up. Like, <laughs> actually, for me, one year, like... I cut like mine's February 7th. So it's like a week before Valentine's day. And then my anniversary with my ex was like, uh, like late February is February 27th. So we kind of just got to lump all those things into one like gift. Like we acknowledge them all, but it was one gift for, for all of that. 
but interesting. Well, anyway. I'll about the real world. Let's go back to the the silver screen. Um, yeah, so it's it's realistic that, or I mean, it's realistic in some context that her parents forget about her birthday, but it's not that movie trope you might expect, where it's like, oh, they forgot about her birthday because they love the other daughter like so much more. They're just like, like the next day, they're just like, oh crap, we forgot, like hey, we're really sorry, like, you know. That's, you know, but that's also kind of a theme, a theme of uh, John Hughes' works, that, like, the parents are forgetful. Um, mm-hmm. Isn't, didn't John Hughes write Home Alone? Yes. So, yeah, uh, Home Alone, directed by Chris Columbus, was written by John Hughes, where they literally forget their youngest child. Yeah, the pinnacle again, of parental forgetfulness. <laughs> But again, it's not played as something like, uh, oh, we forgot him, whatever. Both times in the the two, you know, mainline movies, they're like, they're, they worry and they're, they, they instantly, as soon as they realize that they have forgotten their son, go home and try to find him. Yeah. So it's not like the parents are neglectful, they're forgetful as, you know, humans are there. John Hughes wrote very grounded people for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. They felt very realistic and multifaceted, uh, except for Jake in this film. Jake is just like the most open and friendly and trusting guy ever. Hey, person I've just met that's a freshman that gave me good information and talked with me and is here at this weird house party at my house that is now ruined as only a high school movie house party <laughs> can do. Uh Here's my my now ex girlfriend who I've broken up with, and drive my uh, dad's Rolls Royce home with her. Yeah. I trust you. <laughs> oh, you can't take my Porsche because it's a manual. Here, take this Rolls Royce instead. With uh, that also has a fourth wall breaking moment in uh, the geek scene where he is driving. What does he? He looks at the camera. What does he say? I don't remember. It's like right when. The girl's head like goes into his lap. He just like turns over to to the camera. Yeah, I I don't remember the line though. Yeah, it's uh again, but that that whole plotline becomes problematic because he's sending a woman who is too drunk to be able to open a door to pull her hair out of the jam. Yeah. So she has her friends cut it way too big. <laughs> Yes. Just like for the rest of the movie, her hair is cut ridiculously short in the back. Yeah, she is just blackout drunk. And then Jake is like, yeah, I mean, we're not really dating anymore. So just like do whatever you want to her. And then like <laughs> they do. <laughs> well, it's implied, but I, I honestly think they didn't do anything. Well, I mean, there's the there's the scene in the Rolls Royce like afterwards where he's like, hey, did we, you know, like and she's, she's like, like yeah. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure we did. She doesn't mm-hmm. know herself, though, which, again, you could only get away with that in the 80s. It's a again problematic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're all about enthusiastic consent these days. Right. And that would be not enthusiastic consent because uh, the geek is not intoxicated at all. He didn't mm-hmm. do any drinking at this seniors and juniors party. Yeah, he got stuffed under a glass table. <laughs> yeah. To take a just 90 degree turn. Do you think John Hughes is a bit of a car guy? Because there's two very like distinct cars. There's the 83 Porsche 944 and there's a 74 Rolls Royce uh, Corniche. I didn't know these off the top of my head. I looked them up, obviously. But 
Well, and I mean, I knew the, the Porsche 944, but that's because I'm a car guy. Uh, and then obviously, famously in Ferris Bueller's, there is the the Ferrari, the, mm-hmm. the, the ones that people have bought that mo- the 250 California, I think. Uh, that sounds right. Three. It doesn't sound wrong because there probably is a Ferrari. It's it's a definitely a Ferrari something California. I want to say California is definitely a part of it. It is a 250 GT California. So I was okay. right. It's a Ferrari 250 GT California. Um, that specific car, I believe, went for a crazy amount of money in an auction. But it, but those specific GT Californias are um, incredibly rare, one. right? Yeah, I mean, most Ferraris are, but that was one mm-hmm. of the last, like, hand-assembled and hand-formed chassis that they did. Everyone is, every one of those Ferraris has slightly different measurements because it was all done by eye and hand by the, the chassis designer. Right, um, that classic Italian car. Yeah, feel. and uh, I think Chris Evans, not of Captain America fame, uh, Okay, yeah. The, the BBC One radio host who was reviled on the revival of Top Gear. Mm-hmm. Um, he owns a white 250 GT California. And that specific GT California that he owns was previously owned by um, uh, James Corbin. Uh, from okay. back in the day, who bought the who bought the the Ferrari on recommendation by Paul Newman, not Paul Newman, uh, Steve McQueen. It's a real uh, star-studded heritage there. Well, yeah, and that's the thing with these cars; there were so few of them that you know the, the people that had them. Like, if you if you find one, a famous person probably owned it, right? It's like that and the Daytona are like the two like quintessential jet sets, Rat Pack that era of Hollywood and film kind of cars. Yeah. You know, kind of overall, like that era of Ferrari. Uh, anyway, enough about Ferrari. Uh, yes, I think that John Hughes is probably a bit of a car guy because of how much specific car models feature mm-hmm. into his, some of his works. Yeah. Uh, I or at least a works with someone who's a car, car person, if, if not himself. Because I feel like if he wasn't, then, you know, that that Ferrari would just be like a Corvette or something like that would be the nice car that the dad owned in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So apparently uh, I'm just looking very briefly online that, that, that it wasn't actually a Ferrari used in Ferris Bueller's. It was a kit. I okay. think it was probably built on top of a Corvette that was actually very popular. Uh, famously, the Ferrari Daytona in Miami Vice was a Corvette kit car. It was just a, a kit that you put together and put it over the Ferrari, uh, the Ferrari body lookalike over. So yeah. it was not an actual Ferrari Daytona. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, they did probably, you know, stick it in a tree. So, Well, funny enough, um, Ferrari hated that they were using a kit car for this iconic TV show of the 80s. And so I think around the second or third season, they said, well, we will provide you with brand new white Testarossas <laughs> if you stop using that and blow it up. <laughs> and so I believe there's an episode where where uh, Sonny Crockett's beloved Ferrari Daytona gets blown up and he replaces it with the brand new 
Ferrari Testarossa in white, and they furnished them for the rest of the show's run with them. Nice. <laughs> That's pretty good. Anyway, back to 16 Candles. Um, what do you think about the relationship between Sam and Jake? Because I gotta say, I'm not a huge fan of it. You know, there's like if this was a more modern movie, like you would get the thing where Anthony Michael Hall's geek character would be less, you know, overtly uh, nice guy e, and mm-hmm. they would become a relationship together. Yeah, because like they're they're closer in age. They clearly are going through similar things or at least have better similar experiences. Jake's character is kind of a nothing character. Yeah. Uh, He's a bit like his, I mean, what's his defining character traits? He's attractive and overly trusting. Yeah. That's it. It was played by uh, Michael Schiffering, who was a model. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think you you looked it up. He did this and like a few other things, but nothing major. And so he really only exists as an object of desire and isn't all that multifaceted. Yes, he's tired of his current girlfriend's desires because he's the prom king, of course. Uh, Right. All she wants to do is party all the time and he's looking for something like more real. Okay, that's great. But like, have a personality. (laughs) Yeah, because like... Sam and Jake kind of as a couple, like Jake kind of first hears about her when she, he picks up like her sex quiz thing. It's like, I'm saving myself for Jake and he has no idea who she is. And then like, hears about her from, you know, the geek. And that's yeah, like, he, he, it intrigues her that this girl is like, Oh, so into him. And he's not like creepy about it in like a overt way. But, like, it'd be creepy if I hadn't considered a woman until I, like, saw a thing. Like, oh, she wants to have sex with me first? Huh. That's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's so beyond, like, my experience in life that I, I have no concept of what that would be like. Right. It's, yeah. And so they kind of, like, it's like, oh, he drives out to her sis- to Sam's sister's wedding and like picks her up and's like, let's start this relationship. It's like, do we know each other? Like, no, not really. And it it irked me a little bit. That's all that is. Yeah, it, it definitely. Like again, this is something that is very much of its times. That uh, you would need to write the Jake character with a lot more meat on his bones for it to be understandable. Like, uh, I think Easy A uh, to bury the lead or to spoil the lead uh, does a little bit better job with the eventual pairing there, mm-hmm. where they establish his character as the kind of character he is throughout the film. And then at the end, when, it, when they get together, it's like, well, of course they get together. It's like, yeah. obviously they would. You know, they, they, they have been in each other's lives, like, this is like she's been pining after Jake because he's the hottest guy in school for this entire school year, which I believe this is also her birthday and her sister's wedding are coinciding with the end of school mm-hmm. and the beginning of summer, which only seems relevant to high school drama movies and TV. It is just another day for us that are working paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> It's, yeah, I mean, like, we kind of have the, 
kind of got both ends of the spectrum. It's like the 16 candles, like what, what are you guys doing? And then there's like the easy a you've seen it a million times, like quiet friend who, you know, I guess you were always right for each other, but just never knew it. Well, I, so we'll talk about a little bit more in easy a. So just remind me to bring up what I feel about the, uh, the relationship and that, but, um, you know, I do like uh, going back to just things about uh, sixteen candles. I like that the the parents realize that they forgot their daughter's birthday and do make sincere apologies and like are actually like, you know, we're sorry. We've been so preoccupied with this with this wedding thing that we forgot your birthday, and it, it makes me feel terrible that we did. Um, yeah. Are you doing okay? And, like, they, they want to hear what's up with her. And, like, the father definitely has a good connection with his daughter, uh, with William, with the Samantha character, where he's like, is it boy trouble kind of thing? Like, mm-hmm. and she's like, yes. It's like, well, you know, he gives her, like, you know, the, the, the appropriate amount of, of father-daughter interaction there. So it definitely yeah. felt like he wrote it very well that the this felt like yeah this is a family that has been together like and had these kind of interactions all the time like she's tired of the one uh the one grandparents you know pinching her cheek and doing all this stuff it's like i get that but also as someone that lost all his grandparents very early i'm like you motherfucker don't know what you're what you got (laughs) yeah you know, I, I would give a lot to have my grandmother and grandfather back that I knew and to be able to know them for just a day as adults. Yeah. To hear their stories and what their life was like. Mm-hmm. But that's that's one of those things, like, I wasn't all that interested in them. Like, I loved them. And like I, I never regretted seeing them. And I never like, oh, they're coming over kind of thing. Right. But when I was in high school, when I was in middle school, it definitely wasn't a thing to, you know, think outside myself that much. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty common with a lot of high school kids. I know I was definitely inward focused at that, at that point. High schoolers. I'll, I'll say it again. As I say constantly when I'm driving around town, high schoolers are a mistake. <laughs> uh, there is some redemption for long duck dog uh, a bit. He finds a really attractive girl that's like super into him, mm-hmm. and like the again to point that this was you know more progressive, so to speak. His character is not like a ridiculous caricature of an Asian person. His his character is like just a, a foreign exchange student and from a different culture, and it feels more like the white people are putting on like the, like. I just imagine like the little the younger brother is the one like actually ringing a gong whenever Long Duck Dong's name is mentioned, right? And like that would be a thing that would like bother him if we focused on him uh, as anything more than a side character. He wrecks a car, doesn't he? Yeah, he he drives drunk, but he was like also super distracted by the the woman that was all over him. Yeah, that car is is not gonna ever run again <laughs> uh funny little side uh thing to mention that I, I pointed this out when we were watching it there's a part where the family is all getting together and finding the right seats to get into their cars to go to the wedding and i point out like look at the uh, the grandmother right there and 
the car that they are about to get in has only two seats in the front and three in the back, as is very common. But at the time, there were cars that had uh, bench seats in the front and back, so you could fit six people total in a car. Yeah, this wasn't one of them. She literally gets out and like leans down so she's not in shot of the camera as the car reverses. Yeah, it's 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 real noticeable once you know what you're looking for that she just kind of ducks down behind the car and then. I just and find it funny that they they X Y or Z happened and they didn't have a car from the motor pool to call up that was a bench seat front bench seat rear to actually have it just work. I think that one did have a bench seat in the front seat, but it was it was like the dad, a grandfather, and the the um, younger brother. Oh, so they were trying to fit four. Like there was yeah, just I... too many people. It's like, but then the other thing that I pointed out is like they got they got more cars right there. Why don't they just like, why don't we just put two people in one car? You know, why does everyone have to carpool over there? Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a mess. And, you know, it's just like the like, OK, this is like the shot that we like, you know, for some other reason, you know, that wasn't present in anything else. But we got the grandmother kneeling down and I'm sure in like theaters, maybe like one person in the audience noticed it or something. Oh, yeah. It's one of those things you notice with time, like uh you know, you can you watch Gladiator over and over again and realize, man, there's just a whole bunch of extras missed every single scene, basically. <laughs> or At least like it's, the, not uh, a, it's nothing as egregious as the um, the Game of Thrones stuff from this last, the final season. Right. I was going <laughs> to say the uh, the stormtrooper hitting his helmet on the door. Uh, you pointed that out, and I just thought it was funny. <laughs> we can't see shit in this thing. <laughs> Donk. And then, they, and then they, of course, they acknowledge it in the special edition. They go back at the sound effect. I wonder oh, if, yeah. uh, if 16 Candles ever got a uh, special edition. It's definitely gotten re-releases, but I don't think there's any acknowledged special edition. <laughs> go back and just edit that grandmother out. <laughs> just just <laughs> scrub her from the frame when she ducks down. So, yeah, and he, uh, uh, going back to you know problematic things is... Uh, the older sister is doped up on muscle relaxants. Yeah, she for her she wedding like, because she was nervous. I think she had she had period cramps. Oh, that's right. So she takes like four muscle relaxers, like when a normal dose is one. Yeah, and so she's literally out of it for her entire wedding. Which, yeah. like, ugh. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna say it's the strangest thing that's ever happened at a wedding but oh i'm sure that there have been brides that want to go through with a wedding that have been on some kind of x y or z and yeah, yeah so <laughs> you ever gotten married high <laughs> i'm sure a lot of people have actually uh i'm sure i'm sure yeah, I've I've seen like some posts on Reddit. They're like, "We're giving these out at my wedding." It's just like a bag of joints or something. They're like, "God bless California." I don't know. I guess with the right crowd. But we get we get the uh, a very iconic shot at the end of the wedding scene where Samantha went back to get her older sister's veil, and the entire procession has gone on without her. Uh, which again is kind of the theme of the film. But her father obviously didn't forget her this time, and. Jake has arrived in his 944 guards red Porsche to pick her up. 
<laughs> you know, so he's on the other side and like uh she points the the guy the boy out to her father. They have you know the big kiss and they drive off into the sunset of summer. Yeah. Where anything can happen and probably will. <laughs> well, I, I you know, overall I think it's it was a little it was definitely more honest than a lot of high school films up and uh you know at than than that had come out previously, if I can remember how to talk. Uh, you know, this was coming out of the, the Leave it to Beaver, like, you know, you know, broadcasting code things of what you can and can't show. And so it was, you know, definitely probably a breath of fresh air to the audiences of the time that, you know, these high school students are written like high school students. They're not written like people written by way too old people that don't understand them. Yeah. These kids are charged up on hormones and poor judgment and we're going to show it. And, you know, they're, they're getting up to wild parties. They're cursing they're They are becoming adults is, is definitely, I mean, John Hughes and coming of age stories like go hand in hand. Right. Uh, you know, he definitely had more dramatic things. Uh, Breakfast Club, very much more dramatic. I believe uh, Pretty in Pink is very much a, a very serious film. But that's one of the few that I haven't seen as part of this era of, you know, uh, of high school filmmaking. But I believe mm-hmm. it's like a girl who lives on literally the other side of the tracks kind of thing. And it's like very, uh, she's like very, comes from not a very loving household and like wants to go to the prom or something like that. But that's beside the point. That's, that's just cultural osmosis of me not having seen that film. What is it about? Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely, uh, I mean, did, do you think you liked the film? Yeah. I mean, putting aside like the, of its era stuff and, you know, maybe the motives of the relationship between Sam and Jake, like the movie was funny. It was, I think it was well paced. It, you know, had some interesting, interesting uh, stuff in it. And yeah, I, I enjoyed watching it and I would recommend it to someone who's looking for, you know, something in that vein. Yeah, I, uh, I, I would definitely, I mean, this is obviously not the first time I'd seen it and I did enjoy seeing it again. You know, it, it does have legitimately funny jokes and sight gags and things about it. Um, I would say that this is a better class of film than the kind of films we were getting for our like high school stuff towards the end of our <laughs> high school years. So like compare this to a super bad, right. there is nothing that I want to see in that film again, period. <laughs> that, that film is so Judd Apatow in the beginning kind of film. Right. Not... Talking about directors with an iconic style. Yeah. It, I just don't think it's held up. I, I get like the whole idea of like, oh, we're, you know, we uh, we want to have the strong, you know, male friendship kind of thing, but like nothing about it is something I want to see again because it, it doesn't speak to a, like a real experience. Yeah. Plus I, I feel like that movie also gets run into the ground because you've got like everyone's quoting that movie incessantly and, yeah, but like I remember seeing that movie in the theaters, and I didn't think it was all that funny in the theaters. Like it was amusing. I definitely liked the McLovin storyline the most, like with <laughs> yeah. uh, the Bill Hader and Seth Rogen cops. Yeah, 
And like, I mean, that just is showing how how much of a gem Bill Hader is because he's a bit of a chameleon when it comes to those roles. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen Barry, but apparently it's like amazing. <laughs> I haven't either, but I yeah, I hear similarly good things. Yeah, I enjoyed Superbad like when it came out, but I don't. It definitely won't hold up in the same way that Sixteen Candles does. Like, yeah, not even movie, a contest. I think. Like, uh, yeah, uh, I'm glad for um, you know the the people that made it have gone on to do bigger and better things. Uh, Jonah Hill has you know finally shucking off that weight and is a normal. Uh, I haven't seen the movie he directed, but apparently that's really good. Yeah, I liked him in Moneyball a lot. He has that that uh I think it was a Netflix show with uh with Emma Stone. Yeah, again. talking about degrees of separation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but they've acted uh, they acted together before as well. Yeah. Yeah, they were the kind of like a couple in Superbad. And so uh I actually really liked that Netflix show by the way. It was all directed by uh uh guy who did the first season of uh True Detective. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I I watched the trailer. I was like, this is something I'm, I'd be into, and then I just kind of never sat down and 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 watched it. But uh, mom, if you're listening, I need your uh, Netflix password again. Kerry Joji Fukunawa. I was like Fukunaga. I was like Joji. But wait, that's a that's a singer. <laughs> Craig Joji Fukunawa Fukunaga. Really good limited series. Glad that it ended the way it did. Um, but again, that's digressing completely from the topic at hand, which is 16 Candles. It's been your 30-second uh, Netflix reviews. <laughs> oh, God, we went to 47 minutes. <laughs> I mean, that's with the intro, too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think those are our thoughts about 16 Candles. So uh, come on back and we'll uh, we'll talk about Easy A right after this. There's We don't have ads, but... There's a short musical interlude. Oh, I I know. (laughs) All right. Welcome back. Uh, We're talking about Easy A. Uh, Easy A is a 2010 movie written by Burt V. Royal and directed by Will Gluck. Uh, Burt V. Royal has written this movie, a TV show called Recovery Road, and, quote, additional writing on Big Hero 6. Uh, If you've never heard of the TV show Recovery Road, that's because it was on the Freeform channel. And if you've never heard of the Freeform channel, that's because it's what ABC Family rebranded to in 2016. Also, Burt V. Royal has clearly also written his IMDb trivia section because it is oddly specific about stuff that no one cares about. (laughs) Will Gluck has uh, directed Peter Rabbit, Annie, and Friends with Benefits. Uh, He's also produced a ton of TV shows that I have not seen. Uh, It kind of seems like both Burt V. Royal and Will Gluck kind of have yet to shine to, you know, make it big. But Easy A, my impressions is, you know, kind of good. Easy A, to summarize, uh, looking to get out of a weekend camping trip, Ojai high schooler Olive Pendergast tells her friend Rhiannon that she has a date with a college student. Instead, Olive sings Pocketful of Sunshine all weekend. 
Uh, when asked on Monday how it went, Olive told Ree all about the sex that he and she and her imaginary boyfriend had. Uh, unfortunately, their conversation was overheard by religious fanatic Marianne, who spreads the news all over school that Olive is a dirty whore. For the first time ever, uh, Olive is getting the attention of her classmates, even if it is for the wrong reason. Taking inspiration from the Scarlet Letter, Olive wears the title openly. When her very gay friend Brandon asks to be part of the rumor to help his own reputation uh, in exchange for a $200 gift card, Olive senses opportunity. Olive starts allegedly having sex with unpopular boys all over school. However, when a particular rumor spirals out of control and outside the school, Olive needs to find a way to undo the very reputation she nurtured. So, another movie about high school and also, you know, a relationship with parents. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I loved the characters played by Stanley Tucci and where is she on this list? <laughs> Patricia Clarkson. And Patricia Clarkson. They felt a bit too wish fulfillment-y. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, this wasn't a, necessarily a movie about the adults and about the parents. Uh, I did love the little um, little interlude they have with their very clearly adopted younger uh, <laughs> son. And yes. like he's like, I know I'm adopted. And Stanley Tucci <laughs> like pounds his fist against the very dramatically against the uh, uh, refrigerator and goes, "Who told him we were keeping it a secret?" <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen the movie, the adopted son is uh, of African descent. The rest of the family is white as the driven snow. I guess Stanley Tucci's maybe mixed. I don't know. Stanley Tucci is Italian heritage. You know what? That makes a lot of sense. The, the, but the family dynamic is very loving and like, you know, idyllic. Um, mm-hmm. It's not to say that I, I that there aren't parents like that, because, you know, growing up in Southern California, where this is set, although Ojai is a little more NorCal kind of thing, it's closer yeah, to the it's... Va- it's in the valley, isn't it? Yeah, I had to look it up. Uh, coincidentally, my cousin is having a wedding in Ojai uh, coming up, so I'll get to go there and do some field research. But it is <laughs> yeah, it a look... little, it's a little farther north of uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, so um, uh, I definitely felt like it felt like a truer version of high school. It felt very similar to my high school experience, as yeah. well as I assume yours, since we met at the same high school. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we should we should probably like have opened with that or something. We went to the no, same high school. No, no, <laughs> let them figure it out when I tell them. Preserve preserve the mystery. <laughs> uh, we both in high school in Southern California uh, mm-hmm. was literally in the in in the midst of uh, tangerine trees, uh, avocado trees, whatever trees of <laughs> produce that are that are stereotypically Californian. Yeah, that aren't there anymore because they took them all down and uh, built houses. Just like California to do. <laughs> yeah. But like the whole thing where, you know, they're, it's not very cliquish for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. There are, you know, groups of friends, obviously, but everyone interacts with everyone else. Uh, yeah. That felt very true to my experience at Southern California in, in high school in Southern California because, spoiler, I moved halfway through uh, high school to the fabulous pacific northwest <laughs> uh so you know all about that uh that twilight high school then uh yep yeah, uh i will uh, my high school was full of vampires and werewolves and uh <laughs> sparkly people 
and uh yeah it was it was just like what twilight presented uh <laughs> very realistic super realistic i was uh i was trying to remember if we had well first i'll say this about the parents before we move too far away from them like the kind of read i got on it like thinking back on it is like maybe that's how parents kind of like see themselves in that situation they're like i'm hilarious i have good rapport with my kids like but like I'm, they actually had good rapport with their kids and were funny yeah that idealized wish fulfillment version of parents but maybe like what the parents think that they are in that context my parents have a couple good jokes that they've laid on me but they are not always switched on <laughs> yeah the uh the thing i like about the the parent relationship is very clearly they are in love mm -hmm. yeah that that's nice to see uh that's not something that's touched upon at all in uh 16 candles because it's not part of the the story like the whether the the parents are happy in their marriage is secondary to samantha's story and her you know comings and goings yeah uh but like I suppose you might be right. And like the, the way this movie was written and looked at was, you know, a different lens. It's also, you know, a different time, like being more aware of what is going on in your parents' lives is something that is not, uh, unheard of. Right. Whereas, you know, in the eighties and the seventies and the nineties, parents were, you know, like, you don't know what's going on in our life because it should not affect you. And it, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it will not help the, the situation whatsoever. Yeah, definitely. And, and like, you know, they keep like financial troubles or like work issues or, you know, it's very like tight knit. Like we're going to give this impression to our kids and keep this from them. Where in like EZA, the parents, you know, talk about having sex or like stuff that, Maybe kids don't want to hear, but well, again, that sort of thing. Different strokes for different folks, right? Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say was I was trying to remember if, um, in our high school we had like that same like very religious clique that is in Easy A. Well, I, I like, mean, it would probably be related to the Korean clique. <laughs> well, the one thing I did remember is I got told, uh. I was making some stupid joke in social studies that like, oh, who did I piss off in a previous life? And uh, one kid who I knew to be religious was like, oh, that's very offensive. <laughs> like, all right, uh, I I guess I see it, but I, I don't think it was that bad. So uh, as a, another aside about like religion in high school, there was a, a family in my high school up here in the Pacific Northwest, that um, the kid was in Scientology. Mm. And so, like, someone had a Xenu is my homeboy shirt <laughs> that he he and his family complained about. And so the yeah. kid couldn't wear a Xenu is my homeboy shirt. Oh, I, I, that, I'm pretty sure that's a t-shirt hell t-shirt. Probably, um, I don't know pretty sure i saw it on that site. i bought some stuff from that site you know because i was an edgy high schooler yeah uh but that was also around the time that like the scientology episode of south park came out so like right. everyone was aware of how ridiculous the their belief structure was <laughs> right <laughs> so 
I'll say the one thing in high school I was very bummed to never experience was uh, the books we read in English class were never directly relevant to what I was going through. <laughs> so, so thanks for nothing, The Great Gatsby. What do you mean? You don't know your your life isn't a, a menagerie of lies to uh, finally win back the woman who broke your heart before you went to World War One. Uh, you had me up until World War One, I, I guess. <laughs> I also didn't like read any books in English class, so that may have been my problem too. <laughs> Gosh, so yeah, I, I definitely remember reading parts of The Great Gatsby, and I had one of those, you know, wacky English teachers who was like all about it. Um, right. But I really checked out of school when I had to move. Mm -hmm. So, little, little real there. Um, I remember in summer school, I read uh, Lord of the Flies and To Kill a Mockingbird. And I the really, classics, right? Yeah, I really enjoyed To Kill a Mockingbird because uh, I did live in Georgia for a time. Uh, and I do like remember, like, because it was before I was going to, you know, preschool or anything like that. So I was a very young kid. Mm -hmm. uh, but I remember, you know, just having adventures in the woods beyond, behind the house and, you know, playing and like, so it, it definitely reminds me of some of that. Uh, obviously, not the the rape and trial of a a black man. That I, I don't sure. I don't relate to that, <laughs> seeing as it it wasn't the big event of the town where I lived. <laughs> That's a, a wholly different uh, experience. Yeah, fair enough. But I mean, some at least something that was that was relevant. I'm sure if I would have paid more attention, I might have found something. I don't know. What what other books did you read in high school? Uh, we had... Uh, we read Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> did uh, you take things. flash fiction, by the way? I did. It was called like Social Lit, I think, when I took it, though. So we t it was like... Uh, we read The Boondocks. Um, that's the one I mostly remember. Uh, did you find read Finding Forrester? Was that what it was called? No, that's a movie with Sean Connery, directed by Gus Van Zandt. I think that's Finding Fisher. No, the movie is 100% Finding Forrester. Okay. Well, I'd have, I'd have to go back and look up what that book was called. I did read it, though. It uh, I remember uh, kids walking around campus with uh, Mouse. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That was a really popular one at the time because of, uh, you know, what it, what the subject matter was and the way it, you know told its story it was a comic book or like comic book panels yeah yeah graphic novel like whatever whatever yeah. word it fits into but it was obviously about the holocaust and the persecution of the jews mhm mm yeah i mean going back now i would probably i would pay more attention you know especially if i found a connection as strong as olive's uh, connection to the Scarlet Letter. If only things as apropos as that <laughs> could happen to everyone. It's like, this movie right. is my life! <laughs> or at least the key struggle of this character is what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. I, I think we find that, but it's usually never in the books, like, that are, uh, a scr that are, you know, chosen for us to read. Right. I always found it funny, like, going through the list of banned books. It's like, oh, yeah, Grapes of Wrath, banned. For what reason? Uh, the, the, the breast milk scene or whatever. Uh, 
then you read, you know, like, oh, to kill a mockingbird, banned for what reason? Uh, 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 the, the mental retardation. Yeah, that's it. Or, um, mm. you know, very famously uh, of mice and men. Yeah, a catcher in the rye, usually banned. Yeah, because he swears. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the one thing, you know, and I, I think a lot of teenagers would find that book relatable. I don't know, I never read it, and it just seems insufferable now, like most teenagers. Again, because teenagers are a mistake. Well, I mean, teenagers are insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, it at least works in that way. But yeah, back to Easy A. Oh, right, we're uh, talking about a movie with Emma Stone. <laughs> right. And Amanda Bynes. And Thomas Hayden Church. By the way, yeah, the Mr. This casting is insane for, like... Malcolm McTell as the principal. Yeah, uh, Lisa Kudrow... Uh, Stanley Tucci, Fred Armisen comes up in that that great movie trope of oh my gosh, I can't believe your ex character's dad. <laughs> I, I mean, it was definitely played up, but like, isn't Ojai a pretty small place? Yeah, it's kind of it's very like hipstery, very like. I'm sure, it's way too expensive trip to try to move there now. It's obviously all gentrified and expensive right. and ruined by everything just like Calif most of california <laughs> yep but yeah um the budget for this movie i looked it up was eight million really so it was kind of like a really small budget film yeah it's it's yeah pretty small i mean there's like the kind of the high school set a couple house interiors and like you know a gym that's kind of it yeah parking uh, lot of a seafood restaurant <laughs> totally not red lobster yeah uh i wanted to point out something that you brought up you know her obviously gay friend like they very seriously uh look at it like he's being bullied to the point where like you know that that his life experience like that's probably not too dissimilar to someone who is uh uh homosexual or lgbtq plus um where you know with, with the wrong crowd or whatnot like it would not be accepted. They'd be uh, bullied physically and emotionally a lot. And so mm -hmm. he comes up with like a very honest, uh, you know, thing like, please say that you've done this so that I can get these people off me so that I can actually exist. Like, because it's, yeah. it's terrible what I'm going through. And so, yeah. you know, Emma Stone's all of, all of like, you know, he's my friend. I want to do this because yeah, this sucks. This really sucks for him. And so they right. go to this uh, party uh, and have the most ridiculous <laughs> fake sex scene ever where they go behind the door and she punches him in the stomach to make him, like, groan. Uh, right. it, it was very amusing. Yeah. And, like, everyone's, uh, everyone's around the door, like, listening in. It's a genuinely hilarious movie. Like, I was kind of, like... I wasn't, like, sure what to expect. I was expecting, like, maybe middle of the road, like, oh, yeah, you know, a couple funny moments, like, maybe one joke that, like, really lands, but... Th and that shocked me that um, the writer, uh, Burt Royal, hasn't, like, really done much after this. Yeah. Because I don't know if, like... I, I just wonder if, like, maybe some some, like, showbiz drama nonsense, whatever... Well, the other I thing, yeah, I mean, it could be that, or it could be the other thing where that's a synonym for some other writer. 
So like, you know, this yeah. is the, this is someone else's Edmund Dantes. <laughs> yeah. Uh I mean, I feel like the internet's pretty good at figuring that stuff out. But I mean, like this movie also wasn't like a huge uh financial success. I mean, well reviewed, but not like a box office monster or anything maybe. Yeah, I definitely I think it was uh it was the the perfect amount of uh, you know, budget for the movie that it was. Uh, mm-hmm. it was hanging a lampshade on some of the, uh, the other tropes. I mean, there's, you know, we're, we're watching it from a, uh, a blog, like a live stream perspective of her going over all the events that have right. transpired to lead up to her holding this live stream. So it like, it turns out it's a frame narrative, uh, you know, story when you yeah. really, you really kind of forget that for most of the scenes, but there is a constant narration from Emma Stone, which I think actually helps it. I think that give, mm-hmm. keeps it on track because you have to constantly be like, how does she know this? How does she do this? What yada, 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 yada. I did yeah. like that. Um, you know, there was an interesting moment where she's at the the pool, which that pool facility really reminded me of the, the high school in Southern California's pool facility. <laughs> it's like, yep. Yeah. I, I recognize that. Um, where uh, a larger student, uh, but not overly large, but you know, bigger guy. Uh, yeah. Asks her to do the same favor that Olive did for her friend, for him, and that's kind of what starts on the actual, the actual crux of her being the easy A person, right? And she says something really nice. It's like, yes, I'll do it for you because she's a good person, and like, yeah, you can understand why this guy would like feel that way about this, mm-hmm. because like he's he's like, look at me, like you know, people make fun of me all the time, yada yada, and like. But then she says something that's a little too like, you know, had you had you asked me nicely, I probably would have gone on a date with you. And he's like, wait, really? <laughs> I was too like, late now. Well, yeah, it's too late now. That's kind of played for a laugh. But at the same time, it's like, you know, like he seems like, uh, again, they're all written fairly real. Like he wouldn't think that she would be interested in going on a date with him, period. Yeah. And so like it's coming from real and they kind of play it as laughs. It's like, aha, silly fat boy. Even though they're kind of like not doing that, it's weird. Yeah. The nice thing about like, like it's a very fine line to walk, but like, like Brandon, the, um, the gay, uh, characters, like sexuality is never like played for a laugh. No, it's, it's again, like I said, played seriously, like that he's getting abused and bullied because he is homosexual. Like that's never played for mm-hmm. a joke. And they play it for a minor, bit that this guy is overweight but they never are like he's funny because he's fat or it's funny because he's a fat boy it's just like had you just asked me i would have probably gone on a date with you because olive is not a shitty person there is a problem there is a you know a dark twist to this she wants to you know unravel her her uh reputation that she's gained uh, and so she goes to all the people that she's helped and helped and none of them will help her. Mm-hmm. None of them will be, are willing to take that bullet and say, I lied about it, you know, and all, and I paid all of, you know, whatever gift card I paid her. <laughs> yeah. Home Depot gift card or $200 at home. For, <laughs> no, it was like $50. It was, there's some funny things where she's like, 
you know, I'll take this because I'm a nice person, but like, this is the worst thing that someone's ever given me. Yeah. The like 17% off at Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever That's right. the coupon was. <laughs> um, oh yeah. And it's the, it's the, the one guy gives, tries to give her a $200 to Home Depot gift card because yeah, he thinks, he... he thinks it's an actual thing and like, no, it's cool. I've paid you. Now we get to do the deed, right? Like, I was just taking you out to a nice dinner to be nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of like her first hope of like, hey, maybe I could have a normal like social life. Like, hey, this guy's asking me out on a date, and then it just it just turns shitty. Yeah, and you know, but I, I I do like that she's like emphatically no multiple times and gets physical against him when he's again not taking no for an answer, and mm-hmm. then he drives off in his yellow Dodge Charger. <laughs> Yeah, the official car of those guys. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just just like regular car reviews would say. Yeah, I mean, definitely in comparison to like 16 Candles, it it it's obvious to see what what movie was made when. Yeah. I do like her relationship with the eventual guy she gets together with. What's his character's name? Uh, Woodchuck Todd, I believe, is what he's That's credited right. as. That's right. Uh, Woodchuck Todd, their high school was originally the Devils, but then Marianne, the, the leader of the Christian clique, played by Amanda Bynes, actually. Yeah. Uh, girl from our childhoods. Um, <laughs> she, uh, she had them change it, and Woodchuck Todd was way too ripped, again, to be in high school. <laughs> I'm not saying they're not high schoolers that are well built like Woodchuck Todd was. I'm just saying right. that it's improbable that a few of them go to the same school. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's the like, damn, you got the muscle definition of a 30-year-old. <laughs> Although I don't think he was 30. I think he was close to Emma Stone's age of... Tw- How old was she when this movie came out? I think we said she was like she was just in her 20s i think like she early early 20s 20 or 21 i believe so her yeah. playing a high schooler that's two to three years ago that's <laughs> yeah she was born in 88 so this movie came out in 2010 so, so she was 22 yes yeah sorry it's like right on that edge of carrying the one and i <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah she was 21 or 22 so not that far out of high school um i but uh to its credit over 16 Candles, Woodchuck Todd is built up throughout her life as like, oh, the first boy she kind of had a crush on and they did uh, spin the bottle and they had the, you know, they had, they were going to do a kiss, but he mm. was too scared to kiss her. And so she, starting off her character, she said that she, he kissed her to help him not be embarrassed, but they stayed friends. And again, like, Seems like everyone knows Olive because everyone has been going to the same, you know, few schools for the most part because I Ohio is a very uh, tight knit town. Definitely get that run up of like people, you know, from elementary to middle to high school. Yeah. And so but they, they build up that they've had a relationship where they're constantly friends. He's always like coming up like just when like there's a pivotal scene and he's like. I'm I'm giving you no judgment because I care about you as a person and I've known the kind of person you always are. <laughs> yeah. Definitely some very like accepting people, especially um the teacher, uh played well, by Thomas Hayden Church, Mr. Griffith. 
Yes. Um, I felt he was, his character was weird because, you know, she says my favorite teacher and all that, but he's not in the movie a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. And his characterization is strange. Like, I get what they were going for. Like, he's like the wise mentor character that, you know, everyone looks up to kind of thing. And he's like, you know, relatable and still cares about the stuff he's teaching. Yeah. But like, I don't know. It just, it didn't land and click with me. Like, cause he, you know, he's supposed to be the one that's like looking, you know, like knows Olive really well. And so he, you know, he, uh, he comments and, you know, takes her aside, like asks her to stay for a moment after class to talk about like the, the outfit she's wearing and the persona she's putting on. It's like, you know, that's, that's not the Olive I know kind of thing. And like, again, her father also is like, comes to her with a similar thing. Like, is everything good? The way you're acting and all that. Uh, oh, a funny aside. Um, when her gay friend came over to talk with her, <laughs> the parents are like, they, they were hamming it up. Like that there was a boy coming over to see their daughter. <laughs> and um, they ask later when, you know, you know, when things are falling apart, it's like, so that boy, like, cause he seemed very gay. <laughs> Not that there's a yeah. problem with that, but <laughs> yeah, more of the the I don't know the parents. I don't want to say the parents we wish we had, but like very idealized millennial millennial parents. Right. Yeah. Like maybe you know what? Maybe late millennials' parents were a little bit more like that than early millennials' parents because we're both early millennials. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like like the. Uh, Mr. Griffith, like teacher character. Um, hmm. I mean, he just he needed more development. Like he he didn't have a lot of characterization done for him, and I feel like you know compared to some of the other adult characters that we have, like Mrs. Griffith, his wife, and uh, you know, I mean Malcolm McDowell is in like two scenes. Right. Yeah, I feel like some of the some of the people were just kind of in and out, and maybe that's a maybe that's a budget thing where it's just like, well, we got these people for two days or, you know, we have like Fred Armisen for like one scene. Well, it could be that, you know, he's friends with someone on the production. And so he's doing this as like a favor that still happens in Hollywood where, you know, certain yeah. characters will do a one or two scenes like uh, famously Emilio Estevez back in the nineties uh, was in Brian De Palma's mission impossible film, I believe for free or for the lowest rate he could be to help that movie gain some credibility with the studio because they had no faith in the project. Yeah. And so Emilio did a favor for his friend, Ryan De Palma and was only in a few scenes. Yeah. I, I really liked the teacher character. I felt like he got in there when he needed to be got out when he didn't need to be. Cause it's not a, it's not a story necessarily about like, Oh, here's this girl's relationship with her teacher. It's more like, sure. you know, Here's this girl's journey to find herself. The thing, the the other thing is though, they never feel like a caricature. It never feels like now we're gonna have that like Scrubs, you know, three note moment, dee -dee -dee, right. which is lampooned in Scrubs. But like, there's never gonna be like like real life is not a movie, and so like when someone says, "No, oh, I'm just doing this, I'm doing fine," people usually take them at face value. Like, okay, just you know, be aware of what you're doing kind of stuff is the most that people will say. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it rides that line between like 
relying on tropes and like just using movie conventions well enough to like okay we're gonna you know take this shortcut here so you kind of know what we're talking about like we'll lean on it we'll shorten the dialogue a little bit no one actually talks like this just to keep the film moving does that make sense like oh yeah also we should also say like these movies are each an hour and a half which was a welcome delight after (laughs) uh, some of the some of the films we've chosen for this podcast yeah, uh, specifically the last two episodes had uh, longer films. Some films felt longer than they should have felt. <laughs> Very true. But it, yeah, it kind of. T- I feel like it takes shortcuts in the right areas and yeah, this, you know, there, gives time to the scenes they need to. Both these films are good. They're, 16 Candles, there were some scenes that you could have cut and you wouldn't have lost much. Um but that was just you know the way film the way filmmaking was done and you know the uh, this is becoming a, a complaint that I'm kind of tired of uh, of having of like modern films modern sensibilities you know like this film trimmed all the fat there was nothing yeah. that was superfluous to the plot everything was build every scene was building from one scene to another to a logical conclusion at, at here at at whatever place they were going. The closest mm-hmm. you get to some like uh, superfluous scenes is when she's trying to find, you know, some guidance. She goes to a church, and there's <laughs> the gag where she's in the 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 uh, confessional, and like there's there's no one in the other door, and she's like spilling her guts. She's like, "Oh, this this sucks." <laughs> so she she again lampshades the the irony of her having this very movie moment. Where like I, yeah. I need guidance, but it's undercut by like no, you got to ask the priest to have confessional when it's not time for confessions. Yeah, and that's that's kind of like the character's naivete of like never really done this before. I guess I, it's almost like I've seen this in a movie, and then we see it in a movie. Yeah, and then she eventually finds herself in a church with Pastor Fred Armiston, and uh, Armiston, and. Uh, and embarrasses herself and gets really weirded out when she's like, you know, unsure. It's like hell is very real. <laughs> right. I get that you would say that. And, you know, it's it's real. <laughs> uh, this movie's writing is sharp, man. I cannot stress that enough. Like, if you're on the fence and like kind of in the mood for like, oh, well, you know, let me watch a oh yeah, coming the- of age high school movie. Like, oh, should, do you want to just get into kind of? final impressions yeah i think we talked about it enough in the you know the the previous segment as well as this segment that um i I was gonna agree with you that the writing is very punchy it's very witty um the other thing i wanted to bring up is it doesn't cast shade towards christians for being christian it's like we don't like marianne because she's a bit of a busybody but we uh, but it's not because she's religious in fact there's a brief moment where her and all of our friends until uh, a very uh a very distraught god what's the character the the 20 year old who has been held back and it's it's totally legal it's totally fine uh who yeah. was also in twilight by the way he was in the first twilight huh i did not know that uh micah is the uh, character's name yeah. micah uh in a in a fit of uh of i don't know what to say says he slept with olive and that's how he got crabs when it was really Mrs. Griffith that he was sleeping with that gave him crabs. 
And because she is the wife of the the teacher that is his that is her favorite teacher, she chooses to take that uh, advice or not advice and help her, you know, save her marriage and her face and her job. Um, right. You know, the one person that is not looked uh, upon kindly in this film is the Mrs. Griffith character, actually. Mm-hmm. It's like, no one else did anything wrong but you. You were an adulterer, you cheated, and then you sacrificed your own student's well-being for your own safety, for your own job security, for your own uh, face. Uh, that's treated very much as, like, she's kind of the closest this film gets to as a villain. Mm-hmm. I did like the scene where Olive is going going to Miss Griffith for like legit advice to like let her know like I'm doing this for the, these reasons I want to vent, but Lisa Kudrow's character Miss Griffith is only like surface level paying attention really. She's like, so here's a whole bunch of condoms. <laughs> Be safe out there. Like she's trying. To- she's like almost trying to do the right thing, but just not putting in the effort to really make sure it's the right thing. Right. Like, doesn't she very like quickly, like after hitting the condoms, get on a phone call? Yeah. She's very like quickly, like, all right, great. Time's up. Uh, Stay safe. Bye. But yeah, I guess as, as far as final impressions, I mean, I think it's always a little obvious in how we talk about these movies, but easy. A, I think is the better movie here. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree, but I feel like this one is one of the one the closer ones that we've had. Where I would rewatch either of these films again. Um, oh yeah, yeah. If someone if someone hadn't seen Sixteen Candles and wanted to see it again, I would definitely watch it with them. Uh, mm-hmm. If someone you know was looking for like a lighthearted comedy, you know, featuring actors that they liked, I would you know probably recommend Easy A as well and watch it with them. So this one's less of like oh, which one's clearly superior and more of which one do we just prefer? And I think it's definitely coming through that we kind of prefer more modern films. So, yeah. And like, like I said last time, like that's just how we were raised. Like that's going to be our preference because we grew up watching more modern films and liked those. And so like going forward, we like the more modern stuff, but I like even just from an analytical level, like, I think Easy A is better written, not just because of its modern sensibilities, but like the humor's there. It's it gets to the point. I guess maybe that could be framed as a more modern thing. Like, well, I, I, I definitely think the editing is more modern because like you wouldn't have these quick cuts and all that back in the day, especially for a comedy, especially for like a teen coming of age comedy like 16 mm-hmm. candles so the scenes in in the 16 candles they'll have like you know very basic blocking of like uh here's our a shot here's our b shot and then that's it that's all we have for this scene for coverage we're, we're not doing anything more because this is how you shoot this kind of scene yeah whereas you i know, think f- filmmaking has advanced now and changed the way you do things and you know you you want to put a montage in a non-sports film go ahead and do it <laughs> Right. And I think also like, you know, as two 30 year old dudes watching movies about high school girls, I think Easy A is also intended to be more palatable to a wider audience. Yeah. Whereas a John Hughes film was made, is made specifically like I definitely much more relate with uh, related with The Breakfast Club during high school than I do now. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that Breakfast Club is a bad film by any means. I think 
it's a film that if you watch it in high school, you will get way more out of it than if you watch it when you're an adult. Yeah. Like 16 Candles can be very meaningful to a, you know, a high school age girl going through this, you know, similar feelings of like unrequited love. And, where... you know, being lost in the cracks of, you know, family drama or whatever, whatever drama it is. Like, I think people can be related to being forgotten and ignored. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they're they're Either of them are unrelatable. We just prefer Easy A over 16 Candles. Yeah. Easy A is more of like a, it happens to be set in high school, but it kind of has like stuff that moves beyond it. I think more so than 16 Candles. I feel like you could take this basic plot premise and put it like in a workplace and the comedy would still work and the, the dynamics could still work with some minor tweaking. Whereas a story like 16 Candles stay like that is that's a high school story you can't you can't take that story and have it anywhere else and not be even more problematic than it already is i mean you could even set easy a and say like uh the 1800s oh yeah 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 and like (laughs) a very puritanical place and like have sure have like a character who is maligned but she's just really an honest hard-working earnest person yeah you you could almost you could almost do that I could see it. I think I think it'd be a bit of a risk, but it's got the potential to take off a little bit. Yeah, those period pieces, <laughs> they don't they don't do so well. <laughs> Maybe we set it in a fantasy world. Hmm. Something to look into. I think we should take this conversation off the podcast and no one can steal our fantastic ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll do it for us. That is another episode in the can. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get a hold of us, we're on Twitter. At MatchCut, we got an email. It's matchcutpod at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought. Tell us we're terrible people, whatever the internet does these days. Yeah, tell us how problematic we are and how um, <laughs> how undeserving of like any time and effort we are, how trash our production quality is. Please tell us to please stop send- voting for the more modern film. Please put all these these questions, comments, criticisms, and just salt on our Twitter at, at MatchCut Podcast. That MatchCut. Whatever. I, I got I got that primo Twitter. <laughs> hey everyone, uh, Aaron from the editing booth here. Uh, the rest of our outro got cut off due to a technical glitch, so I will just quickly say thank you from both me and Matt for listening. Uh, we do appreciate it. And here is Matt with a quick note about what is coming up next on the podcast. Up next, uh, the next two films we'll be covering are a bit heavier than uh, the other subject matter that we've been discussing. You know, even things like the Fiddler on the Roof and having you know Holocaust discussion and all that with that episode. The next one is a little truer, so I'm going to include a, a trigger warning. Uh, also, just tell you the films. Uh, we are going to be doing Gone uh, Baby Gone and Wind River. Um, hope you enjoy and tune in for the next episode.